Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Bump and Stacy show the final hour on your hum day. I'm Michael Bumpus with Curtis Rogers. We're waiting to see if we get a hold of Big Ray Roberts, man. And the reason why we're trying to get a hold of my man is because uh, Schneider said some things about that offensive line. He said, look, man, Olu with Timmy, who they drafted from Michigan last year. You got Anthony Bradford as well. He's a guard. Olu is a center. He's saying these guys might and should compete for a starting spot on that offensive line. When we talk about the offensive line, um, man, it was a struggle last year. Guys weren't healthy. Evan Brown, a new center over there. Um, the tackles, Abe Lucas wasn't healthy. He's had surgery this offseason. Seems like he's going to be better. Um, Charles Cross had a down year. He was banged up a little bit. It's almost like we talk about the same things every year about this offensive line. Yeah. Guys not being healthy or them not performing at a high level. Uh, so if we do get around the line, I'm interested to see how he views this offensive line if he thinks Olu and Anthony Bradford are ready to go. It's weird because after the 2022 season, I think there was so much like hope and positivity being talked about the Seahawks offensive line because of the performances of, of Abe Lucas and Charles Cross in the rookie season, how they were available for all 16 or all 17 games uh, during their rookie years. And then week one, it, we didn't even get through the first game last year before Abe Lucas's season was uh, turned upside down. And before, uh, you know, a critical second year for a lot of these guys in the class of 2022, uh, you know, before we could even see Abe Lucas take those next steps forward. And then Charles Cross, he got dinged up too, I think in that opener, so what you saw from them in 2022, you just never were able to see it really at any point in 2023. I just felt like neither one of those guys got terribly comfortable. And then on the interior of the offensive line, I mean, Evan Brown was there for the most part for, you know, he was there for the entirety of the season, but uh, a lot of question marks still remain on the offensive line. All right, well, we got a lot of questions. Big Ray might have some answers. Big homie, what's up? What's happening, big dog? How you guys doing? Hey, right, we're well, man. Thanks for joining us. We got Curtis in for Stacy today, so it's uh, it's really a dad podcast now, man. We got the big homie Ray involved <laughs> in this situation. Hey, you hey, said we, that early, dude. It cracked me up. <laughs> That's what happens when, when Stacy's gone, man. Me and Curtis would bring out the fanny packs and new balances. Yeah, we don't put that uh, thermostat above 70. <laughs> we got a heating bill to pay around here. I'm not even going to lie, dude. I just turned my thermostat up, bro. <laughs> look, look cold out there. Hey, um, Ray, we're looking at this offensive line, and Schneider says some things that were interesting the other day. He says um, he expects Olawood Timmy and Anthony Bradford to compete for starting spots. I remember you being really high on Anthony Bradford at one point during the season. Um, do you still feel that way, and do you think that uh, he's ready for the starting job? You know, I think he is. I think the thing, um, like this, when you're a young football player, the one thing you have to learn when you get to the league is what got you there will not keep you there. And so you have to learn to be a pro. I had to do it too. I, I can remember Howard Mudd. Like I relied a lot on like my athletic ability and, and strength and like my technique was terrible. And when Howard Mudd came here my second year, he would take me out onto the field and he would just be just the two of us. And he goes, I'm going to teach you how to be a pro. And so, you know, Anthony Bradford, I think, has all the makings to be a really good uh, guard in this league. 
but he has to get himself in a little better shape. Uh, he has to, you know, tighten up his technique uh, a, a little bit. Uh, and then I think he has the makings of something that can be really truly special because he is a freaking bully. He's a he's a bully ball football player, and I love that about it. Like he doesn't back down to anybody. Uh, it didn't matter what the uh, you know he went after Leonard Williams when they played the Giants. So like he, he it doesn't care what your credentials are. Uh, when it's time time to play football, he's going to lace them up and play football. And so I like I like that part about him. Ray, another guy on that offensive line that plays with a mean streak is is Abe Lucas. But his second year in the league was so stop and go, mostly stop because of the injuries. How vital is that second year for guys? Because we saw him make a lot of strides in his rookie year, but second year just he was never able to uh, build off of what he did in his rookie year. Yeah, it's kind of hard to you know to to bounce back off those injuries. But I will say that when he was uh, healthier, that you know when he was like pretty healthy at the beginning of the year, the first game or two or three, and even sometimes when he came back uh, and he was feeling good, he still played really good football. Uh, I think that the the injury. And the, the the pain in his knee kept him from playing the way that he's capable of playing with power and tenacity and finish. Uh, and so that kind of, uh, it, he, you know, he kind of slid a little bit in that. But those things won't go away if he's healthy. They'll they'll actually come back and he'll be a stronger dude. And he, he's a different kind of cat. Like um, his like attention to his craft and the seriousness in which he approaches the game. Uh, I think if he's healthy, he'll be fine. Uh, but that's a big question mark, whether or not the knee is going to be healthy or, or if it's a chronic deal. Evan Brown was uh, brought over from the Lions, if I remember correctly, played in 91% of the snaps. Now, um, Olawood Timmy from Michigan played in 12% of the snaps, only 129. Uh, but it's when you watch him play, you, you see the potential in this young man. Are you ready to roll the dice on Timmy and see what he can do, or would you keep Evan Brown around um, just to mentor the young man and, and, and maybe work him in slowly? Well, I, I think that you have to I, – I like, you know, even though Pete's not here, I like the always compete thing where, you, where you're where you not – you shouldn't feel comfortable with your position or with your or stance on the – standing on the team. You should always be pushed by somebody. And so I think if, if they can afford to keep, you know, Evan Brown, he's on a one-year deal, kind of a make it or break it deal. Uh, I think the competition there will make them, will make them both better. Cause there's certain things that each of them can do better. And you know, like Evan is a very great communicator. Uh, you know, he, um, uh, his, his initial like pop is pretty strong, but then sometimes he loses it. Like, uh, like in his third or fourth step where just his lightness in the middle there becomes an issue. But then you look at Olu. Olu's a really smart dude, uh, very great communicator, uh, very strong hands, but he doesn't pop off the ball as quick and as hard as Evan does. So so those are some things that he needs to work on. But I, I, I do think eventually the best center of the two of those is Olu. Uh, he, he's, he has just perfected that position over a long period of time. And I've always been a fan of dudes that have a PhD in what they do on the offensive line. This dude has two PhDs at playing center. And I think, you know, if he can uh, get, have a little more pop off the ball and then be able to sustain blocks with, with, you know, with his upper body strength, I think he's the, he's a guy that has a chance to be the long-term starter at center. Big Ray, a name that comes up uh, in all of these mock drafts with the Seahawks is Washington left tackle, Troy Fautanu. Uh, 
What did you see from him this season with the Huskies? And do you think that would be a smart pick for the Seahawks to make, probably transitioning to guard since you've already got Charles Cross as your left tackle? Yeah, you know, I've seen that too. And I was actually, um, when Bump sent me the text to come on, I was about to text Brock Cured and ask him, uh, where did he see him playing along the offensive line? Because quite frankly, like he doesn't seem like he has like the traditional measurements to be like a left tackle with long arms and long legs and all this stuff. And he doesn't seem to have the size and strength and mauling of a right tackle. So I would see him as an interior offensive lineman uh, for the Seahawks. And I, I think he could probably, you know, he's super athletic. You know, I think he has enough strength, uh, but, you know, he'll just have to prove that he can uh, keep the, the, the hardest thing about going from guard to tackle is tackle. You tend to play a little taller than you do at guard because the guys you're playing against, you know, are usually a slight little taller or when you're pass blocking, they're having to stand taller when they rush the quarterback. When you play inside on at the guard at center spot, man, you have to be able to maintain low pad level or you're going to end up, uh, you know, just getting dumped in the, in the running back's lap or, or in the uh, quarterback's lap. And so uh, I, I think that would be the challenge for him in there is being able to play with that type of power versus playing with the finesse on the outside. Right. I, I look at the, um, the potential run scheme of Ryan Grubb. And uh, when we interviewed him, what well, last week or a couple weeks ago, um, I asked him about, the love that his run game gets because it doesn't get a lot of love. When you have Michael Penix right. and Roman Dunze and Polk McMillan throwing the ball everywhere, people forget about the run, but Dylan Johnson still went for 1,100 yards. And I look at what he leans on, and I want to say it's more of what Big Ray wants to do. There's pin and pull, there's power, there's trap. I mean, there's a lot of movement on that offensive line. Um, how do you think that type of run scheme will help the guys that are on this roster already? You know, I think it kind of fits them better. Uh, because really, the you know, um, you have guys that can, you know, if they all came back, you know, if you had um, uh, shoot, Damon at left guard and, and the center and then Bradford and, and everyone came back in there, they're all pretty athletic dudes and they can get out and move and they can get out and run. I can't say that they're all the best at just lining up and saying, I'm going to take my dude and drive him five yards down the field. I don't, I don't know that, that like that type of power football is their deal. And so I love the way uh, San Francisco runs the ball. I love the way the Ravens run the ball. They have a lot of movement, like, you know, uh, and even, uh, you know, Grubb, like looking at his offense, all the pre-snap movements they did, like they, sometimes they'd waste, they'd use just about the whole clock moving people all over the place. And sometimes it's just a game, either the numbers advantage or the angle advantage in the run game. And then they do the pin and pull and they do all the, the eye candy and stuff around it. And, you know, people will say like, well, that's kind of like, uh, 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 like tricky kind of football or whatever, but it's all power football, dude. When you have 300 pound dudes going against 300 pound dudes, it's power football. How, how you get <laughs> to the power doesn't matter whether you're lining up and doing double teams or you're, or you're pinning, pulling, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's all power football because you have some powerful dudes blocking other powerful dudes. And so I like, I like the way they ran the ball there and it did get like, it went unnoticed because of all the throwing and Penix and the receivers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that offensive line did a really good job in that scheme uh, and was able to create some holes and, and space for people to run. And then I think that will match up better with K nine, especially getting like we saw near the end of the season when he got more downhill first, 
he's a more effective runner than when he's trying to bounce everything. And when you pin and pull, sometimes it forces the running back to have to follow dudes like where the hole is. And so it may help him a little bit. And then with Charbonnet, uh, he's built for that type of running game. Ray, I'm looking at the tight end room right now, and it's going to look very different in 2024 because Noah Fant is an unrestricted free agent. Colby Parkinson, an unrestricted free agent. Still no nothing definitive about Will Disley coming back. I know he's under contract for 2024, but uh, they could save quite a bit of money if they do decide to move on from him. What do you make uh, of the tight end position in Ryan Grubb's offense? Is is that something that we're going to see uh, maybe a, a guy who's better at blocking, or is that going to be uh, somebody who is, you know, everybody wants that that pass-catching tight end, the guy who's going to put up flashy numbers. But I, I don't get the vibe, especially looking at what Washington's offense was last year, that we're going to see that from the tight end position. Yeah, I, I think it would be smart for them to – to figure out a way to include a tight end um, uh, because I, you either gain an extra blocker or you gain an extra extra receiver or you gain both of those. So, you know, if you can get a, a, a George Kittle, Kelsey type dude who can block and, and run, then you've, you've, uh, it's a force multiplier basically. And, uh, and so I, I think it would be, a disservice if you didn't figure out a tight end of some sort to add to the into the to the mix and how the things you do. Uh, like I don't know if Noah Fant will ever be the blocker that a you know a Kittle is or anything like that. But his ability to catch the ball and yards after catch, you know, when you get it to him on the run, I, I think could be very dangerous in this offense. You know, especially if uh, if it's, it becomes a point of emphasis to include him and and be purposeful and intentional about putting him in the pass game. If not, then I think you should find a tight end that can play those roles and, and make it part of this offense. If you, if you, to me, you're doing the offense a disservice. If you don't have a tight end, that's either multiplying a force multiplier in the run game or force force multiplier in the passing game or both. Uh, I, I think, I think you're, uh, you're probably selling yourself a little bit short if you do that. Ray, um, it's crazy. I remember when this young man was drafted, Damian Lewis. Now he's a free agent, and um, he's he's done everything for this team, right? He's been center. He's played a tackle. He's played guard, and he's a name that no one really talks about. Um, if you are the Seahawks, are you are you bringing him back? And what has he meant to this offensive line over the years? Yeah, you know, to me, man, like Damian Lewis, um, you know, like I, I think I just used the phrase, you know, what got you there won't keep you there, and uh, I don't know if it's because of injuries or or maybe he maxed out or tapped out like, you know, his, his growth potential, but I just didn't see the growth in him from, uh, from his first year to his second year, second year to the third year uh, and fourth year, like that. I thought I would see, I honestly thought that by this time in his career, he be, he would be one of the top five or 10 guards in the entire NFL uh, just because of his athletic ability, his strength, uh, his toughness. Uh, you know, when he's a rookie uh, uh, coach Carroll said they, they, put him in that starter the first day and they never looked back and he never looked back. Uh, but you needed to see growth from there. And I don't know that I've seen the growth that I expected to see from him there. So I don't know that he would necessarily be a priority to resign him unless there's some deep conversation around uh, his development and you know what, what he's willing to do to get better and move forward. Ray, last one from me. Have you been able to look at any of the results of this NFLPA 
survey where they rank each team in various categories, give them an A, B, C, D, or F grade, uh, because there have been some pretty weird results. Like for the Chiefs, for example, their ownership graded the lowest of any team, F minus, and yet they've still won three Super Bowls. Andy <laughs> Reid was graded as an A plus. When I look at that with the head coach having such a high grade, like is the, is the head coach player relationship the most important one on the team that can really just kind of weave through all the mess that, that, uh, you know, organizations can be because seeing the chiefs come in at 31st on this is is wild is considering the amount of success that they've had. Well, I I mean, honestly, I don't get into a lot of those things. I I think people create all this stuff to try to, you know, create more content or uh, give them some, something that makes them feel like they know something that other people don't. But uh, at the end of the day, when you can get the locker room uh, to focus on the main thing and the main thing is winning and you're always going to have guys that are looking at the contract or looking for playing time and all that kind of thing. That's, that's just part of it. That's the nature of the beast. But when you can get them to focus on uh, when we, when one, when one, when one wins, we all win. Uh, then to me, that's the most important thing. And that's the role of, of coach, uh, the coach that you have, and his leadership style, and then how how does that then uh, filter down to your team leadership, and 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 then into those other players in the locker room? And to me, that's the most important thing. I, I could care less if the if the ownership got an F or the marketing team got a C or the marching <laughs> band got a D or whatever it is. Like if if the if the team and the coach are operating in the A and B category in the honor roll category, you're going to win two or three Super Bowls. Facts right there. And we appreciate you. That's Big Ray on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. We appreciate the time, Big Homie. Thanks, Big Ray. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get to four down territory. This is four down territory. Going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. Bob, what was said yesterday by Bears head coach Matt Eberflus that further supports the notion that Justin Fields will not be in Chicago next year. He says, look, we look at guys who can operate on third down, two minute and end of the game situations. The Bears on third down on in 2023, 50%. In 2021, sorry, 22, 32%. And in 21, they were 41%. Not good enough, right? The highest they were 16th, the lowest they were were 31st. And that's, that's a third down situation. Now let's talk about late in the game. You talk about Justin Fields late in the game. In fourth quarters, he completed 51% of his passes. When they were within seven points, he completed 48% of his passes. His best quarter was the first quarter. Always got off to a good start for the most part. 74% of his passes were completed. I just broke down those two things to let you know that there's another way of saying Justin Fields will not be a Chicago Bear when it comes to next year. And uh, and I think we all, we all know that. We're assuming that at least, right? Caleb Williams will probably be over there. But I still think Justin Fields will be good elsewhere again. Man, it's off-season talk, it's coach talk, but sometimes it is real talk. In this situation, it is absolutely real. Justin Fields won't be there, but we all knew that. Second down. Bob, speaking of situational football, what situations did Geno Smith excel in last year, and which situations would you like to see him get better in? Oh, last year, my man was balling when they were losing ball games. When they were tied, he completed 76% of his passes. When they were behind one to eight points, he completed 64% of his passes. And just behind in general, he scored or threw 11 touchdowns, man. When 
the team needs him, he's going to step up. Now let's talk about the quarters. He played well in the first quarter, just like Justin Fields, complete 71% of his passes, five touchdowns, zero interceptions in the first quarter. His best, I would say, fourth quarter overtime, right? 65% completion rate in the fourth, eight touchdowns, zero interceptions, and then in overtime, only played in one, but he was seven for six for 85 yards and one touchdown. Uh, I, I, I say all that just to say that whatever you want, to think about Gino, your prerogative, go ahead and do that. But he has shown that at the end of the game, if they are behind, if they are tied, if they get into overtime, he's going to give you an opportunity to win that ball game. And I think that's all that coaches want at the end of the day. So big ups to Gino for that. Did he hold on to the football a couple times uh, longer than he should? Of course he did. Everyone does that. Uh, but we've always, we're have we're breaking Gino down because that's what we do. So I want to show him a little bit of love, man. They're down. Bump, why are football debates their hardest when it comes to deciphering the greatest at any given position? Man, it's uh, it's tough out here just deciphering who the best football player is, what position is better than the other one. And um, the debate of Gronk versus Kelsey is, is what kind of sparked this because when you talk about the goals, we automatically go to the quarterback, and I think they are the most important position in football. Uh, but it's hard to compare them to other positions because other positions – do more physically than a quarterback does if unless we're talking about Lamar and Josh Allen, these guys who depend on the run. But I'm going to focus on the tight end spot. Uh, this debate came up. Gronk versus Kelsey. They both have played 22 games in the postseason. Gronk has 98 reception. Kelsey 165. Gronk 1,300 yards. Kelsey 1,900 yards. Gronk is averaging 63 yards per game. Kelsey 86 yards per game. And Gronk has 15 touchdowns. Kelsey 19. If you just look at the stats, you're going to look at Kelsey and say, that's my guy. That's the guy that I want. You look at the film, you're going to make an argument for Gronk and say the way that he plays the game, the violence that he plays with, he's a good blocker. His run after the catch is great. And on offense, if you are a guy who scores touchdown, who catches the football, who runs the football, you're automatically connected to your quarterback. Thankfully for those two, they're connected to two of the best to have ever have done it. So, uh, so yeah, man, you look at Jerry Rice and Calvin Johnson. Jerry Rice is the better receiver, but you look at Megatron, you go, I could use me a Megatron. It's just so hard to decipher who's the best. But I'm going to go on saying it's always on defense. The best football players, pure football players, are always on defense, in my opinion. Uh, so I'll kill that debate right now. Offense is hard to judge. QBs are going to be the GOAT. But overall, football players, anybody on defense, you take them. Fourth down. Bump, what do you like about Panthers head coach Dave Canales' approach to handling Bryce Young? I like that he's taking the pressure off of him and saying, look, we're going to take him off the high dive, right? We're going to slow things down for him. He understands that last year was not a great situation for him. And the more I think about Dave Canales and who he is and what he brings to the table, the more I like it for Bryce Young because Dave Canales coached an undersized uh, excuse me, quarterback before. He knows what it takes to find these throwing lanes, how to manipulate your body, maybe get outside the pocket. He understands some of the struggles that Bryce Young is going to have. Bryce Young is a talented quarterback, but he was just in a bad situation with the Panthers and with Frank Reich over there. Maybe Frank Reich could have got things right anyway. Only had 11 games. Urban Meyer got more than that. But no, I, I like what the, the message that David Canales or Dave Canales is putting out there. And he's saying, look, we're going to slow the game down. I understand how to coach this type of quarterback. Everything is going to be good. So Canales made a great, had a great run here for 10 years, went to Tampa Bay, uh, got Baker Mayfield right. And now he's going to do the same for Bryce Young. All right, you are listening to the Bump and Stacy Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. When we come back, are we nervous, man? We might lose a pitcher. Matt Brash, elbows hurt him a little bit. Curtis and I will tell you, give you our thoughts there. That's next on the Bump and Stacy Show.
Bumpin' Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Curtis Rogers doing his thing, filling in for Stacy Ross today, but I'm Michael Bumpus and I'm still here. We're going to focus on the Mariners in this segment right here. Hey, also get your questions ready for what I need to know. Get those questions in 866-979-3776. But before then, we're talking baseball and we're talking Matt Brash. Now, um, word on the street is that my man has a arm injury. Ryan Divish um, talked about how Brash was addressing the media, talked about his arm, and kept looking at his elbow. Whenever you're a pitcher, that elbow is sore, starts to hurt. Uh, you know, that is bad news. Now, Curtis, we felt really good about this rotation and about this bullpen. Even with Topa being out of there, you think Salcedo's going to come in and, and and grow in that role? We know what Brash can do. Munoz is looking for a bounce back year after a stellar year, the year before that. But um, when you start spring training off like this in one of your arms, one of the guys throwing some stank, that slider he relied on 51% of the time, um, there's there's room for concern. So how concerned are you, and what does this do to the bullpen if Brash isn't available? My concern level is uh, the, the red siren hasn't gone off yet, but I'm at about an 8 uh, out mm-hmm. of 10 in terms of, of concern level. And what this does to the bullpen, I mean, you're talking about the pitcher that threw the most innings for you and had the most strikeouts for you of anybody in that bullpen. That's a lot of production you're going to try to replace potentially over the course of at least a few weeks into the season, if not more, and potentially the entire thing. That is a ton of production to lose at any point in the year and it would stink if they don't get to see him out on the mound at any point this season. Um, How do you replace that? I mean, you could try to look at the reliever market, try to sign somebody, uh, try to trade for somebody, but right now that's going to be tough to do. Maybe you look elsewhere. And when I, when I say elsewhere, Maybe you look at the free agent market and sign somebody that is not a reliever that can still add value to your team and pick up you know, some of those wins that you're dropping if Matt Brash is not there. The two guys who I have in mind are the two guys that are the top of the free agent market right now, Blake Snell, starting pitcher, and Matt Chapman, third baseman. Snell won a Cy Young Award last mm-hmm. year, his second in his career. Matt Chapman is one of the best fielding third baseman maybe ever Chapman's bat leaves plenty to be desired but hey he is a positive contributor and you look at third base too that's a spot that's not really settled right now maybe you kind of zig when everybody's expecting you to zag and, and pick up some bullpen help why not help out the lineup why not help out the defense which then would help out your bullpen and not make it not make end of game scenarios uh, you know, the toughest thing on them. I One thing that I've looked at, Bump, in, in recent years and, and last year when the Rangers won the World Series, what was their biggest struggle? It was the bullpen. Right. But you know what helped out their bullpen? The fact that they were winning games 9-1, 8-2, blowing teams out, making it really easy on their bullpen. The 2019 Nationals come to mind as another team that won the World Series with a terrible bullpen. It can be done. It is a much trickier road to navigate, um, but it's not impossible to win with a bullpen that is not, 
you know, considered one of the best in the league. I think losing Brash would, you know, really, really hurt this ball club. Yeah, it would. And, um, you know, earlier we tried to uh, read into what service is vibe about this whole situation. And it's hard not it's hard to get a true gauge on him without seeing his body language. We're going to listen to this cut again. Cut number four um, service talking about Brash in the uh, the coming days. Yeah, we will hear more in the next couple of days uh, on where Matt is at. Uh, obviously, he's a key part. He's one of the best arms, bullpen arms in the league. Uh, you know, he felt some soreness the other day. We're, we're being very cautious with that. Where is that soreness? Out. It's in his arm. <laughs> okay. I answered your question. Didn't you I? did. <laughs> it's his right arm, too. It's in his throwing it's arm. His, yeah. Yeah. Forearm, arm, not shoulder. Arm. So service doing what coaches do. Now I can tell you exactly what's going on. And I'm looking at the text line, Curtis, they're responding to this whole situation. 425 says, don't sleep on Santos. He's got that fire. What do you say to that? Well, yeah, his importance ramps up dramatically if if Brash is unable to go. Then you'll at least have Santos and Munoz in your bullpen, two capable arms. But you also have to replace Justin Topa, who, by the way, was second in Major League Baseball in appearances made in 2023. You still didn't really fix the Paul Seawald absence in your bullpen last year. You traded away Isaiah Campbell. Now there's going to be uh, some, you know, other names that will emerge. It always happens. Uh, last year you saw Gabe Spire and Taylor Saucedo emerge as, as viable lefties. Um, you look at the Mariners right now and, Carlos Vargas kind of jumps out to me as potentially a guy in that bullpen that is going to emerge. I know reports out of uh, spring training have been very positive uh, as to Vargas's potential. So I look at him as a guy that maybe he's going to see some more high leverage innings. The thing is, bullpens are just so fickle bump. Like you can never bank on them ending the way a, a season starts. The good thing is the Mariners have been incredible at developing, developing bullpen arms. Mm-hmm. The problem, though, is that they've never needed to develop arms faster than <laughs> they're going to need to do so this spring. Yeah, right. Um, And and we're hoping, obviously, we're hoping for the best, right? But even if Brash um, doesn't need, I don't even want to say the words, doesn't need that, right? He's not going to be available to start the season. So naturally, you put, you put more stress on these guys. So the Santos deal looks a lot better now than it did earlier. Obviously, I think we we all like the pick, but are are the pickup, but now um it's looking even better. And and I like your I like your approach of kind of like help me help you. All right, well, you know, if uh if you're going to stress out that that bullpen a little bit, let's go ahead and get a guy who can play some defense and has the potential. He hasn't balled out as a lay, but has the potential um, to help when it comes to uh to providing some power. But here's the thing, this is how you fix all that. Easy fix, Curtis. Just uh, score a lot of runs, man, and and, right? don't, and don't stress out that bullpen. Exactly, something that we're not really used to over here in Seattle, man. When you look at this lineup, do you think there's enough to kind of buy them some time and and get off to a good start? I think the lineup has more potential than it did last year. I think you're looking at a deeper lineup, a lineup that has uh, more pop throughout it. I love the Jorge Polanco addition at second base. I think he represents a much higher upside than Colton Wong ever could have, even before we knew that Colton Wong was one of the worst trades uh, in in Mariners history. I like the additions of Hanniger and Rayleigh in terms of their bats. I think 
those guys are going to be much more consistent in their production than Jared Kelnick was. And I like the Mitch Garver signing at DH. Now, all of those guys that I mentioned uh, come with injury risks, but I think that they are going to combine for a much better uh, overall offensive experience than what we saw a year ago. Do I think it's enough? I'd still love to see Matt Chapman in a Mariners right. uniform, and I'm warming up to the idea. But Curtis, his bat, his bat, wow. it's not as hot as it used to be. It may not be as hot as it used to be, but still adds a ton of value defensively, which is an area that the, the Mariners still have great concern in. And, I mean, look, you saw Cody Bellinger, who was probably asking for six or seven years in free agency, sign a three-year deal with an, a player opt-out after each year. Like, the market is Man. is coming down on a lot of these guys. We had Jordan Schusterman of Yahoo Sports on yesterday uh, talking about why it makes sense right now to go out and sign Matt Chapman. At the beginning of the offseason, when, especially after they traded Gino, I was like, okay, this would be kind of strange to just swap out Gino for Chapman. But now Chapman really fits quite well. Now, again, we have no idea what his demands are at this point, but that is a move now where if he was your one big move of the winter and you didn't change much else, I think that would be a little bit concerning, but I think now you could bring him in and he's someone in the lineup that fits more in that five, six, seven range rather than that two, three, four range. Now it's a piece that when you consider the defense that he's bringing, I mean, I, I don't hate the plan to platoon Rojas and Arias, but if you want to act like what Cal Raleigh was saying at the end of last season, and you want to spend some money, go out and get some of the big guys, Matt Chapman qualifies as that. I know some Mariners fans think he's super overrated, but I don't really see an argument that, that he would not make this team better. I really don't. Matt Chapman looking more and more attractive like that girl or guy at the end of the night when you run out of options. <laughs> Everybody's going home with somebody. Everyone's going home and we're looking at Matt like, what's up? We doing this or not? <laughs> what are we doing here? All right, man. Uh, that was uh, Curtis and I's thoughts on Matt Brash and the whole situation and, and Matt Chapman as well. But when we come back, we'll put a bow on this thing. It's time for What I Need to Know. Get your questions in. This is the Dad Podcast Edition, 866-979-3776. What I Need to Know next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. It is time now for What I Need to Know, one of my favorite uh, segments of the show. You know why? Because you guys get questions in, and it means that we almost up out of here. So uh, let's keep the good times rolling with What I Need to Know. The first one, Curtis, man. Uh, beyond your dad. Who was the greatest influence in your youth? I mean, you'd have to say, like, your mom, right? Like, your parents are probably right. the biggest influence in your life, no matter what. I get outside of, like, parents, uh, like, friends growing up, I uh, get like Maybe coaches, teachers. Yeah, maybe. Teachers is a good one. Yeah. I had some really good teachers in my day. Um, but, yeah, I would say probably friends friends yeah they are because yeah my mom told me this when i was young and i what are you talking about mom it's like birds of a feather flock together all y'all got something alike <laughs> that you that you like so when one of my friends got in trouble she goes what you do were you part of that were you part of that so yeah influence uh i think it's it's the group of people you hang out with right you guys rub off right. on each other and influence each other to do great things hopefully yes to youths out there great things uh what i need to know 
I once went to Knott's Berry Farm in the 80s and got a burger. The patty, I swear, was like half a dollar size. It looked so small compared to the bun. When were you disappointed when out dining? <laughs> Every time I go to an amusement park, so that's great right there. The food isn't great. Yeah. It's expensive, but it's necessary because uh-huh. you got to eat. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. Maybe going out to like a fancy restaurant and the food just didn't hit the way I thought it was going to hit. Yeah, those fancy bougie restaurants where the plate's huge and the, the dish size is like yeah. actually like really small. But, but the sauce is just yeah. spread beautifully across the plate. <laughs> I want the um, sauce. I a lot of those like really popular chains, sometimes I just don't see mm-hmm. what people see in them. You're a Washingtonian in and out hater, I already know. I like In N Out. Do you? Yeah. Most Washingtonians that I know, at least, they hate on In N Out. Every time I travel. Washingtonian In N Out hater? (laughs) Right here. Got one? (laughs) I went there uh, when I went down with um, a cousin to go to San Diego Comic Con. Most disappointing burger and fries I've ever had. Because they hyped it up way too much. Yeah, Yeah, but even then, it just wasn't good. Like, beyond the hype, it was just dry. I love their burgers. Their fries are definitely an acquired taste, that's for sure. Um, But I would say, like, People, some people swear by Applebee's. Mm-hmm. I've never had a meal there that I'm like, oh, I'm having this again. <laughs> and I, every time I go, I'm kind of like, really? Like, this is where we're going? Like, we, we could go anywhere else. But then you just kind of suck it up because the group yeah. is all jacked up about it. I know Applebee's has a... Uh has uh, like a great happy hour. I feel like every time I go in there, in there like the, drinks, the drinks yeah. are like really cheap. Uh, what I need to know, which is harder, being a girl dad or a boy dad? I only know being a girl dad. So you know. You you know both. So What's, what's harder? I would say I, I, you, you made a good point. We kind of talked about this before. Um, when they're young, boys are way more active. And they're tearing stuff up. And they're yeah, they're disobedient. Yeah, my my daughter when she was young, she was sweet for the most part. She uh-huh. listened. Now as you get older, my daughter's nine now. And perfect example, I was at my son's game. She asked to sit on my lap because she couldn't see. Uh-huh. And I go, hey babe, if you sit on my lap, I can't see. How about we just move to this area over here so we can both see? No. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> Ten minutes later, I go, all right, well you can sit on my lap now and I'll take the L. No. I'm like. All right, my boy is just like, man, why is she tripping, Dad? I'm like, I know, right? I know. So, right now, I would say being a girl, Dad, and honestly, girls are so precious, man. I just, yes. just want to protect them from everything. Right. Yeah. I only know being a girl, Dad. I've got two at home. Uh, and at this age, so Willa is almost three. She turns three in May. She's She's becoming, she's definitely like, crossing the line uh-huh. on certain things mm-hmm. and we're now having to punish her and, and whatnot um so that's been a that's been a challenge for sure is like how do you not like blow your top every single time <laughs> she does something because you don't want to do that that's no one no one comes out looking good um so you got to make sure you stay calm don't let them get you, but it happens all the time where it's just like, Ugh. yeah. And then Blair is, uh, she's going to be nine months in about a week. Okay. And she's, she's just, she'll learn how to crawl probably this weekend. Nice. Is my guess. <laughs> this weekend. <Yeah. laughs> uh, text lines are hot. They're saying girls all day, especially when they get into the teenage years. Um, yeah. I'm not there yet, but I, I see it happening. 
Um, what I need to know, have you ever fallen asleep at a sporting event? No. I have not. If I Never. paid, first, if I'm going to the sporting event, I want to be there. I want to see it. Now, I've fallen asleep in the movie theater a bunch of times because I go with my kids, maybe, and I'm not really interested. It's late. I can't see a movie after 8 o'clock or I'm done. I mean, it's just a wrap. Uh, but sporting events, nah, i never done it. Um, I'm, I'm locked in. If I go to the game, man, I, I'm, I'm invested. Yeah. In what's going on? I have, I don't think I've ever come close to falling asleep. Now, I've been to some bad games where, like, if I see somebody falling asleep, it's like, I get it. Like, I totally get it. <laughs> I would say the the most lifeless atmosphere I ever saw a game at was uh, during the COVID season. Lumen Field was empty, mm-hmm. so every time, like every time the Seahawks played, it would just be like you, me, the rest of the radio right. crew, and then like the people in the press box. That playoff game that they lost to the Rams, I have never. That was like one of the more miserable sports viewing mm-hmm. experiences in my life because it was just like, this game's not close. No one's here. There is no energy. <laughs> By halftime, the game was already over, and it's like, what are we doing? Here? It's crazy. That year felt like eight scrimmages. <laughs> like it, it was a JV scrimmage <laughs> with 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 NFL talent on the field, but the the stands were empty. What I need to know: jerky or granola bar? Uh, if I'm going on a road trip, it's jerky for sure. Yeah. If I'm getting a snack out of the cupboard, probably a granola bar. Yeah, I'm jerky all day. It's it's got to be. Is it the Costco jerky? Their jerky. Yeah. Bomb, yeah. bomb. I love jerky when it's it's sealed. You know, after you open it, it loses its its jerky, so to speak. Uh, we got time for one more. What I need to know, you are a five-star high school football player recruited by everyone. What NIL deal do you want to see? Car dealership, luxury apartments, or something else? Ooh. That one kid had the uh, private jet company. That would be pretty cool. But of these ones, probably luxury apartment. Luxury apartments all day. Yeah. That's that's an incredible flex for a college kid. Big flex. Hey, come up to the spot. Come kick it. <laughs> corner, corner, uh, corner apartment. All right, that is it for us on the Bump and Stacy Show. Curtis Rogers doing his thing today, and he's gonna do his thing again tomorrow. Maybe we're we're, we're seeing. Hopefully, Stacy makes it back over we'll, the. Past. We'll see if Stacy makes it. But uh, man, it's been real. Thanks for tuning in. Wyman and Bob next.